Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. First off, hope everybody's doing well. I know it's crazy times and uh, we're in like week eight of this or it seems like year eight, quite frankly. So I'm just hoping everybody A, is staying healthy and B, is staying sane. And that's all we're going to talk about with that because quite frankly, there's enough of it in the news and we don't need to go over it anymore. So today we're going to cover a couple things that have popped up recently in, in mostly video comments, but some emails as well. One of them is enclosures, and I just have some points I want to touch upon about enclosures. And they're not going to be as in-depth as I know I've talked about temperatures before and enclosures before, but I do think there are some points that need to be highlighted and kind of repeated because it, it seems like there's a lot of confusion still sometimes over how to set up enclosures and what should be your priority when setting up an enclosure. The other thing is room temps with the temperatures now starting to warm up, thank gosh. I think there's a lot of times we throw around in videos and care sheets and stuff, room temperature. And although I try to, like um, most of my videos now, I will put a little note thing in there that I give what I consider to be room temperature, what's a good room temperature for tarantulas. There's always those odd comments you get from people. Like one guy came the other day, and I, I don't think he was trolling, but I do think he was kind of being snarky about it. He's like, well, I, I like it cold, and I keep my house 55 degrees. You're telling me that's room temperature because that's room temperature for me. And it's like, no, that's obviously not what I'm saying. I'm saying for most normal human beings, it's in this range. And then I had somebody contact me recently that likes to keep her house very, very warm. And she's like, is this room temperature? So I figured we'd cover both of these topics because, again, they're ones that – I think those of us that have been in the hobby for a while don't worry about temperature very much. That's something I think early on all of us worry about. When I first set up my tarantulas, I have a spare bedroom that we can't use because it's kind of a, a walkway. It goes into the laundry room. The laundry room goes to our garage, and then our garage has is basically our back door. It's how we get to our driveway. And that was a perfect room for the tarantulas. And it was also a perfect room for the tarantulas because it's a smaller room. So when I turn the heat up in the main, you know, we have one thermostat in the house. When I turn the heat up to, say, 68 degrees, which is usually what it's like in here, what usually the temperature we have it at, that room will go up even higher because it's a smaller room. Nobody's going in and out of it, and the heat stacks up. So it was like 70, 72. So it was kind of a perfect room. But even so, sometimes during the winter the temperatures would drop a bit and I would freak out earlier in the hobby. It was like you read all these care sheets and again, care sheets are the devil as far as the hobby's concerned. You'd read all these care sheets that would say it had to be, you know, I, I remember reading one, I got the GBB and one of the care sheets was like, they should be kept at 85 degrees. I'm like, whoa, I can't do that. And then luckily you read more and realize, no, that's not necessary. But anyway, I can remember probably causing more harm than good because I was constantly going into the transfer room and checking the temperatures in there because I was afraid they were going to dip too low. So sometimes I'd get up in the morning, go to get changed. I'd look at the thermometer and I had like a digital thermometer in there and it would say it was 68. And I'd be like, oh God, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to, they're going to die. They're not going to eat. They're not going to do well. What happens is after a while you realize the temperatures we put, I think we focus on temperatures. We freak out with temperatures. I think humans probably experience temperatures a lot more different, a lot differently than tarantulas do. So when we get cold, we picture, you know, you're, you're shivering, your hands are cold, your feet are cold you're uncomfortable. There's been research that has studied that a lot of people feel like that tarantulas and arachnids and other insects don't feel cold the way we do. They will slow down. It will slow down their metabolism. Some of them slow down quite a bit, but they don't necessarily feel it the same way we do. And that's not a cop That's not to say that, you know, again, I, I don't know if there's been a an actual study to prove that these animals do not feel cold at all, but it seems like where they come from, there's it's not like they can bundle up. They can't put on little mittens and little gloves and little hats. When it gets colder, they just, you know, batten down the hatches and they slow slow down a bit and stay in their dens. So anyway, what's come up recently is I've had some people asking about the room temperature thing. So I figured we'd go over room temps a bit. And basically, it's a ballpark. And I love when people throw out room temperatures. And I get it because somebody will put out room temperatures and somebody will go, well, you know, what is room temperature? What exactly is it? What, what measurement do you use for that? What, is, what are the numbers? Give me a specific. And people go, there's no specific. If you're comfortable, they're comfortable. If you're comfortable in a t-shirt, they're comfortable. And that one can be tough because like this guy, you know, said, he likes it very, very cold. I like it chilly. I can wear a t-shirt, you know, and get down here 60s. I'm fine. I, I like the cold weather. So what's comfortable for me is not necessarily comfortable for other people. So for example, I've had people come to my house and I've noticed they don't take their jackets off because they're used to their room temperature being closer to 80 and it's in the 60s in here. So 
for me, we're comfortable here. Somebody else, it might be totally different. So that room temperature that we throw around can be misleading and confusing at times. Again, we try to be specific as possible. When it's practical, sometimes it's not, you know, you have to give a range. And I think this is something we can have a range for. But again, I think the range would probably be around 65 degrees Celsius to around 75 degrees Celsius is what most people would consider room temperature. Again, it's a range. It's not one number. I've heard people, I've had people email me freaking out because their temperatures dropped down like they read that they had to be kept at 75 degrees and it dropped to 74 and they're like, is my tarantula going to be okay? And yes, it's going to be totally fine. If you think about the majority of these guys, they don't live in places where they're, it's the same temperature all year round. They have seasons, they might experience a lesser degree of temperature changes than some places on Earth. Like I'm in, obviously, New England, where we can go from, you know, zero degrees in the winter to 100 degrees in the summer. They might have less of a, you know, seasonal change, but a lot of them come from places where it can be very hot one part part of the year, very rainy, very humid, and then other parts of the year, it's much drier and much cooler. There's tarantula species out there that if you look it up where they are in their natural habitats, they experience temperatures down in the 40s. So it's important that we recognize that having a temperature shift at home is very, very normal for them. They would experience that in the wild. Now, one of the things that people often worry about is it being too cold and what is too cold, and I think that's an interesting one. Honestly, with the majority of species out there, it can dip down into the 60s, sometimes even the lower 60s, as long as it doesn't stay there for that long, and they'll be totally fine. The species that I do kind of, I'm a little more careful with, and I'm a little more worried about if the temperatures drop, would be Avicularia and Carabina. They tend to be a little more susceptible. I mean, I've heard people that pick up the Avicularias from a pet store, they're keeping them in the 60s, and the Avics don't do it. They don't eat, they don't move. So they do tend to slow down a bit. But if you look up some of the other species, like Brachypelma, Afonipelma, Gramostola, they all come from regions where it gets quite chilly. So they'll do just fine. Now, what you will see is if it gets too low, your tarantula might become less active. Your tarantula might not eat as much. Some of them will stop eating completely, and you'll get those legendary fasts. I'm looking at you, Gramostola proteri. It's not going to kill your tarantula. It's not going to harm your tarantula. Again, it's something that the tarantula has developed in from living in nature that there are going to be cold times where they're not going to eat. Their metabolism slow down. They stop eating. That's normal. Most of us don't want that to happen because it freaks us out when our pet goes months at a time without eating. I've shared my story of when I first got my grandma stole a The two little slings are like a third of an inch and mine disappeared for almost half a year as soon as it got chilly in October. And this was before I had any supplemental heat in my tarantula room. So it would dip down into the high 60s or so. As soon as the air dried up and it got cooler in there, what would happen was they buried themselves and that was it. I didn't see them. They weren't in pre-molt because they, when they came back out, they didn't look any bigger and they immediately ate. It looked like they just took the winter off. So that's something that tends to freak a lot of us out. I don't like it. I'm used to it now. I've had ones do it, but fasting tends to freak us out. We don't want that if we can help it. So that's why it sometimes behooves us to keep the temperatures at a range where it's in the 70s or so. Where they're, The 70s seems to be that magic number where they're going to eat well, they're going to grow pretty well. Obviously, if you raise the temperatures, and this is what people ask, well, what happens if I keep them at 80? Is that a problem? No, it's not a problem at all. A lot of them, it seems to me, honestly, having spoken to a lot of people over the years that keep tarantulas and hearing about, I always ask what temperatures are you keeping them at? And I think people sometimes think that I'm like trying to find out if they're doing like keeping them at the correct temperatures. No, it's kind of like my own little thing where I like to track what people are keeping them at because then I ask how quickly are they growing? So for example, a hobby buddy of mine, we used to compare growth rates because she lived in a place where it was like, always like it was like dry in mid 80s I think most of the time and her inside temps were pretty high and her growth rates were through the roof she had a gramostola pulchra that quadrupled mine in size and the amount of time I had like mine went from like a half inch to an inch hers was like three inches in the same amount of time it was ridiculous she had a hapalopa species columbia large her male matured out in, I believe, seven or eight months that quickly. So obviously, higher temps will jack up the tarantula's metabolism. You'll have faster growth. You'll have quicker, faster uh, periods between molts. They'll molt more often, which leads to you having better growth. But you don't need to keep them that high. And again, you got to think of the fact that in the wild, they're not always going to have those temperatures, those higher temperatures. So keeping them in 
70s, perfectly fine. I found in the 70s, I get decent growth rate for mine. If you watch my videos, I always try to say, all right, here's how fast mine grew, but here's what temperature I kept them at. And there's always somebody that chimes in and goes, well, mine grew twice that fast. I keep mine in the mid 80s. Well, that's why. So keeping them a little bit higher doesn't hurt. Again, keeping them a little bit lower doesn't hurt. Keeping them a little bit higher, you're, it, it actually kind of helps in some respects because you're going to get faster growth, but you do not need to heat them. That's not, I think what scares me is when people hear, oh, my spider is going to grow a lot faster if I heat it. And then they start doing things like heat mats or heat lamps. I had a guy that contacted me. Oh God, it was like the end of last year that had just gotten the hobby and decided he was going to breed and he needed, he wanted to do this quickly. So he was created this whole setup where he had heat lamps on him because he wanted to get the, get the temperatures in the actual enclosures up to the mid eighties. So he'd get faster growth rate so he could see which females he had and start breeding them. And I was trying to convince him that this is a terrible idea. His, his home temperatures were actually higher too. I think they were in the seventies. I'm like, this is perfect. Just keep them at that. He's like, no, I really want to get these guys growing. He was talking about the whole power feeding thing, which again, doesn't quite work the same way with tarantulas. So anyway, that's what scares me is sometimes when you talk about faster, you know, higher temperatures will bring faster growth rates. I worry that people will take that to mean, well, I got to jack up the heat so I can get faster growth rates. No, you don't. Just enjoy your spiders. Trust me, it may take them a little longer to grow, but you'll, it, it's, it doesn't really... There's, you can do more harm than good trying to add that supplementary heat, especially if you don't do it in a safe way. If you really want to increase the heat, the best way to do it is to heat the room. Again, I use one of those stand-up, the oil-filled space heaters. I don't use the ones with the open face on them that can tip over and burn. I use the oil-filled ones, and that one's work great. They just raise it a couple degrees in there because, again, for me, it came down to A, I write about these guys. I like to be able to talk about them and I won't write about something unless I've kept it, like grown it to a certain point because the way I see it, you know, people want to hear information. They don't want to hear, hey, I've had this sling for two weeks. Here's how to take care of it. That doesn't prove I can take care of it. If they see here, here's something I bought as a sling. Here it is now as a four inch young adult. It gives them a little more confidence that I know what I'm doing. So it kind of behooved me to raise the temperatures just a little bit in there to make sure that they were growing at a decent clip because unfortunately I was finding when it dipped down into the 60s that they were slowing down quite a bit. And so now my temps don't usually get like in the summertime, they'll get higher because it's the summer and it'll get up to like 76 to 80 or so. I've had a couple days where it was 82 in there, but that's about it. It's a shaded room so it's and it's well insulated so it doesn't get particularly warm in the summer. And in the winter, I usually keep it the lower shelves. The lowest shelf is around 68, 70 at the lowest. The highest shelf sometimes gets to be about 76 to 78 or so. And that's about it. And again, I really don't need the heater in there. It's just something to, again, to just keep it at a slightly warmer so I get better growth rates because I, I enjoy writing about these guys and talking about them and doing the videos about them. And it can be a while. It can take a while to grow one up to the point where I feel like I can go, all right, I've successfully raised this. But you don't need the extra heat. So that's why sometimes I panic when I say in the videos, you know, I think the phrase I use for my husbandry videos is higher temperatures will lead to faster metabolism. And I kind of leave it at that because I really don't want people going out there and trying to heat them if they don't have to. Now, one of the questions I get sometimes is, is there a, a, a temperature that's too high for them? And uh, 90s and above, you have to remember, a lot of these guys will come from areas, you'll read about the ones that are in Africa, and, and even other environments where the temperatures can get up to the 90s, even to 100. But what we forget is that some of them, well, a lot of them will burrow to get away from the heat. So the burrow is the great equalizer. When you hear about the temperatures where these things live and you hear that they get super high or super low, you always have to remember that they will burrow to escape extreme temperatures. So if it gets too cold, they will burrow. That will get away from the freezing line. They'll be beneath that. They'll be safe. If it gets too hot, again, they burrow. They're under the ground where I believe there was a temperature. Somebody filled me in on what the temperature was when they measured the burrows and it was pretty consistent. It was like in the 60s, like the high 60s or so. And most burrows and the humidity was a certain, there was a certain humidity that was in most burrows. So the despite when it may be outside, they can dig or find places. A lot of them. Some of them will just kind of hide in crooks of rocks and stuff, and they're more at the nature's mercy. But a lot of them can burrow and get under the ground and get to safer places where they're not experiencing those extreme temps. Now, unfortunately, in our house, if my room goes up to 90-something degrees, there is no place for them to escape. Even if they go into the ground, it's still going to be 90 degrees in there. They're not going into the cooler earth. So that can be an issue. I've noticed a couple times we've had real bad heat waves, and the temperature in the tarantula room at one summer in particular 
got up to around 90 degrees or so, and the majority of my tarantulas were out climbing the size of their enclosure, and it didn't look like a, hey, I'm loving the heat type thing. It looked more like they were trying to escape the heat. So I would say some of the higher temperatures you need to be really careful with. Somebody contacted me a couple of years ago, and she's like, I have this great idea. I have a sunroom that's like all windows, and it gets really warm in the summertime. And I want to say she was in like Florida or something, so I'm guessing this must have been pretty warm. And it wasn't air-conditioned. And she goes, I'm going to keep my tarantulas in there because it'll be nice and warm for them. I'll get good growth rates. And I had to caution her against it because you don't want the, A, you don't want the aquarium effect or the car effect. Like your car heats up in the summer because that sunlight comes in, beats through those windows, and heats up the inside of the car. The same thing can happen to an aquarium that's in direct sunlight. It can heat up if it's plastic, it's glass, those things heat up really bad. And the other thing is those rooms, that room she said would get into the 90s. And I'm like, that's a little bit too high. And she's like, oh, but they come from places. I forget which species. It might have been a pea murinus where she said, oh, they comes from a place where it gets really hot. Yeah, but they can hide. There, they're going to be exposed. That whole room is going to be 90 something degrees. Those cages, there's no place for them to escape. Even if they burrow, even if they web, it's going to be 90 something degrees. So I had to caution her against it. So you need to be careful with that. That's not a place to put them. You don't want them in direct sunlight. You don't want the temperatures getting too high because I have seen them acting stressed, acting like they do not appreciate the extra heat. Some of them don't seem to care. Like my pokies will just hang out on the sides like normal, but a lot of my grandma so you know the beginner species ones especially you'll see climb in their enclosures and again i'm not an expert on tarantula behavior but it does seem to be more of a get me out of here type thing not hey i'm really enjoying this i figure if they were enjoying it they'd just be out basking on the sides of their enclosures like hey this is great it's nice and warm instead it's the constant scurrying scrambling trying to climb up the enclosure trying to escape what i'm guessing they perceive as too high temperatures so too low, I would say anything below 65 or so. And again, they can drop down lower than that. We've had, uh, I think many of us have had power outages before where it's gotten cold. At one point before I got my generator, and I'll tell you a big thing behind me getting the generator was having all these spiders here because we lose power a lot where I'm at. And it was about as stressful as it could get when it you know, would go on for a couple days in the wintertime and the house temps would dip down to 50s. That would worry me, but I can tell you it's happened at least twice I can think of where it got cold enough in that tarantula room where it was in 50 degrees or so everybody lived everybody survived including my caribbean versicolor if it's not for a long period of time if it doesn't go down to full freezing and if it's not for a long extended period of time most of them can do quite well if the temperature drops low so don't panic right off the bat if your heat goes out your power goes out as long as you can keep it in that 50 degree range they should be fine i talked to one person where it actually dropped into the 40s and it was for like a day and a half or something and they all lived afterwards so just keep that in mind you're still going to panic it's still going to cause stress but know that people have gone through it before and their tarantulas have come out of it just fine but generally speaking when i say room temperatures i'm talking about 65 degrees to 75 just know if you keep them on the cooler end, you're going to have slower growth rates. That's not necessarily a bad thing. They're probably closer to the growth rates they would get in nature, honestly. If you keep them a little bit higher, you're going to get slightly higher growth rates. And there do seem to be certain species that, depending on which end you keep them at, you get much faster growth rate overall. The OBT, for example, I've talked to people that keep them much warmer, like in the 80s, they get very quick growth rate. I remember when I first picked mine up, I read that there was a fast-growing spider. Mine grew very, very slowly, like probably slightly faster than most of your grandma stole or brachypelma species. And she took forever to reach, I'd say, the inch mark or so, and then took a while longer to start showing her adult colors. Other people I've talked to, theirs grew super fast. I I don't know. The other one, Lazy Dora Parahybana, is another one that I have, one that I picked up as a sling that's been a very slow grower. And when I first got her as a sling, it was when that tarantula room was on the cooler side. So it was in the 60s a lot during the winter. And I've talked to other people that theirs hit four or five inches in the first year easy. So there are certain ones, if you pay attention out there, that seem you really get a boost in the growth department. But overall, it's going to be, it's it's not going to be noticeable, honestly if you pick up a species and you keep it a little cooler the growth rate might be a little slower but it's not going to be incredibly slow just something to keep in mind so with room temperatures stop worrying about the temperatures if your house is suitably warm for you unless you're the guy that likes it in the 50s it's going to be perfectly fine for your spiders you don't have to worry about it being kept cooler isn't going just because they're molting a little you know they're having more time between molts they're not eating as much doesn't necessarily mean they're in bad shape again i harken back to 
couple podcasts ago, I was talking about somebody that studied tarantulas in nature that said he thinks we all keep ours way too fat, that the ones in nature are very thin. The ones we see pictures of when people post them are all quite fat. He said obese. Uh, again, in nature, a lot of animals in nature aren't doing well because they're not able to find prey. So, of course, they're going to be skinnier. But there's something to be said with the fact that we worry about what they're going to be. You know, when we keep them, we're trying to keep it close or at least take into account how they are kept or how they survive in nature. And if that's the case, we shouldn't worry as much probably because many of these species, they're going to go through huge stretches where they're not going to be able to find prey. They're not going to be eating as much. They're going to be fasting. So they've, we've kind of created a situation. We've found a good band of husbandry, you know, as far as temperatures and for some of the species, the, the moisture requirements. We found those good levels that we know that our tarantulas are going to grow well. They're going to do okay. We don't need supplemental heat. And we want to make sure that we don't fixate on those kind of things. Because, again, I think a lot of it comes down to doing more harm than good. And you don't want to be in a situation where you end up with dead spiders because you tried to heat them to make them grow faster and accidentally killed them off. I mean, that's I think that's a bigger concern for me. Is uh, And a lot of people, a lot of new people to get in the hobby, contact me with concerns over the fact that, well, it's only 70 degrees in my room. I really want to try to heat it more. And I'm like, don't, don't, don't even start. Just start with nothing. As long as it doesn't dip, you know, too low, you're totally fine. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're possibly risking the spider's health by trying to get the faster growth rate. It's really not worth it. So hopefully that helps clarify a little bit. I know I cover this one a lot. I know it comes up a lot when I'm talking about tarantulas. I think I broke it down a while back and talked about it, but it, it again, it bears repeating because I think a lot of people listening to the podcast are newer and haven't learned these lessons yet. I think for those of you guys that have been out there for a while, you know, take a moment to think back at how much you used to panic over temperatures. We all did it. I did it for a while. I did it for probably over a couple of years where I was constantly fixated. Like I remember when I picked up my first Theraphosis Sturmy and at that time, all you read when you read care sheets was these guys need to be kept warmer. They're bigger spiders. They need to be kept warmer. They need to be in the eighties. Don't let them dip below the eighties. And there was a lot of information like that out there. And luckily I got a hold of a couple people that kept them like that's all bs you don't have to do that you don't have to keep the temperature super high you keep them in the you know the 70s they're fine and i did and mine did perfectly well but i used to freak out that i was keeping the things too cool i think a lot of us go through that so you know again if you're new well welcome to the hobby it's not that big of a deal don't fixate on those ideal temperatures and if you're old it always i think it's always good for us to think back on the things that we used to struggle with because it helps us honestly when we're working with other keepers i i think the hobby should be built more on paying it forward. You know, here are some lessons I learned and it helps you not be so annoyed when people ask those questions. Cause I know a lot of people, they get all upset when people come out and ask what they think are very, you know, standard questions like, well, what's, what's room temperature? Well, you should know room temperature. It's, you know, 65 degrees to 75 degrees. A lot of people don't know that yet. And I think it, really does the hobby a disservice when we jump on people like that and don't bother to, to, to explain it to them. And I think it's hypocritical at times because I've seen people online that have asked questions that later on, years later, will come on and bash somebody else for asking the same question they originally asked. Like, come on, buddy. you Did you like it when they jumped on you? No. So... Again, I always like to bring these things up. I like to think about this type of stuff myself because I think it helps me. I, I don't know. I think it's a, it really helps me to not get frustrated when people ask me these questions because I've been there. I remember it. And I think it makes us all better keepers if we drop the aloofness. Like, all right, I've been in it for 10 years. I know all this stuff now because I've been doing it for a while. Well, try to remember back when you didn't and remember what that felt like and the the nervousness and the anxiety that you'd get when the temperatures would drop too low or when you didn't think you thought something got too dry, whatever it may be. I think it's always important to keep that in mind. So again, not preaching, just something that I think would help a lot of us if we can keep those in mind. I think it helps us keep an open mind too that I'll tell you, there's to date, there are still things in the hobby that I don't feel comfortable with. And I've been doing it for a while and I talk about it all the time. So again, just kind of a reminder to when you're talking to other people, when you're on the message boards, when you're on the Facebook groups, be civil. And when you find yourself getting frustrated, for the majority of us, I know there's people out there, I've never done that. Awesome. But for the majority of us, we have, we've been there, we've had the same anxieties, the same fears. Try to keep those in mind when you work with other people. It makes it a lot easier, even when you're answering those questions that you think people should be able to easily find looking up online. Sometimes they just want to hear it from a human being and not read an old post. So anyway, on to the next one. Another thing that comes up quite a bit, enclosures. And this one was kind of brewing for a while because 
it's funny. I've been recently. I've been switching over a lot of my tarantulas to more high-end, classier, more aesthetically pleasing enclosures. I've picked up. I think now I have thirty something of them in some type of Exoterra Nano, tall, short, the fat ones. I, I think around thirty, including some other thirty of them in like glass tanks, like Exoterra type tanks. Then I picked up a bunch of acrylic ones that, that these five acrylic ones that buddy Charles turned me on to that were on Amazon. Unfortunately, they don't sell the hard plastic anymore. It seems, but they were hard plastic ones, probably around three and a half gallons or so you could glue some hinges on them and a little hasp and they make beautiful little acrylic enclosures. So I've got a bunch of those look very, very nice. Then of course I have my acrylics. I have the Lorex plastic ones. There's the 15 gallon one that the Umbalfori in. I have three, five gallon ones and I just picked up a brand new 10 gallon one. That I'm pretty excited about a lot, let's just say I've probably half my collection now, at least half my collection is in what I would call aesthetically pleasing, you know, higher end enclosures. Even if they're not super expensive, they look nice. But a lot of the ones that I've spent, you know, 30, 40, $50 on or whatnot. But then the rest of my collection, a lot of them are still in the Sterilite boxes. And again, they're not as, they're flat out. They're not anywhere near as visually appealing as some of the acrylic stuff or glass. The Sterilite tends to be milky. You know, they're not beautiful enclosures. Let's call it as it is. And lately I've had a couple people come on and it's kind of funny because one of them really, it didn't get to me. It just, I think, presented a perspective that I never considered before. The guy came on and basically the comment, the the gist of the comment was I was putting, I believe it was a piece of Letheria species into a Sterilite box. And the guy came on and basically said, I wouldn't listen to anything you say. You're obviously unprofessional. You're putting your tarantulas in those hideous boxes or something like that. And, for, you know, first I was laughing, I was thinking it was a troll. And a lot of times I, I have a terrible game I play with trolls where I come back with something so outlandish that I've actually made a couple, I got a couple followers from this because you come out with something just so weird that they don't even know what to make of you. Like, I'm not going to get angry. If they're trying to troll me, I'm not going to give them what they want. But then, as I've mentioned before, sometimes it's somebody that's confused or they're seeing something that doesn't jibe with what they believe and they think it, they unfortunately think something negative about you. And I like to explain that. I like to give them a different perspective. So anyway, I came back with a guy and I'm like, I don't understand how the, you know, aesthetics of the container I'm using have anything to do with the quality of my husbandry and how well I'm able to take care of my spiders. I kind of went on a little bit and the guy came back and he's like, I wouldn't, it was something along the lines of he would never take my information seriously because I don't have pretty cages like other YouTubers. And I thought that was kind of insane. So I did send him some links to some of my bioactive enclosures and said, look at, these are some of the things I keep my spiders in. Never heard back from Another one I get a lot is I had my Therafosa Blondie in a, I think it was like a Ziploc plastic container. And people would come on and say, it is absolutely disgusting that you're keeping that beautiful spider in such a terrible thing. One guy called me flat out a terrible keeper. And I'm like, all right, here's the deal. I chose that container because I needed to maintain the moisture inside the enclosure. And when I was looking at larger tanks and stuff, they didn't offer what I wanted for ventilation and they didn't offer a, con a, a container that would allow me to put enough substrate in. Whatever it may be, I found that these plastic containers would be able to be altered and used in a way that would make them an ideal setup for this spider. It wasn't so much about, believe me, I'd rather, rather have it in something pretty, but it wasn't so much about aesthetics. It was about functionality. It was about it being appropriate for the spider. So it really kind of, you know, got me thinking about how people don't recognize the difference between aesthetics and functionality and how when you're dealing with tarantulas, that's something you really need to consider. We all want pretty enclosures. I, I flat out right now, one of the things I've been doing, and I've explained before, I've gotten to a point where I can't really pick up a lot more spiders right now. We're at max capacity as far as what I can keep and what I can take care of to the level that I like to take care of them. Plus we're running out of space now. I keep telling Billy we need a new home and I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get her to let us move. We, we've we been talking about it for a while, but one of the things I would like is a huge exotics room. I'd love to have something where I could proudly put up a bunch more shelves, lighting, and display these guys, but I don't have that right now. Does that mean I'm not taking care of them? Well, absolutely not. But I, one of the things I've been focusing on because we don't have as much room anymore is upgrading the cages. But that's not because of the health of the animals per se. That's because I need something to spend my hobby money on because I can't buy new spiders. So I think it's important that people understand that just because Keeper A has his 
say, in all beautifully LED lit enclosures with plants and, you know, just, you know, exoterra all perfectly decorated. And Keeper B has his in a plastic box with dirt, a hide, a water dish without any of the, you know, great fixings. Doesn't mean that Keeper B is keeping them incorrectly. Keeper B may, in effect, be keeping his tarantulas better. For example, I was watching a video where somebody had a Theraphosa Sturmi. It was in a large, typical glass tank, and it was decorated beautifully. Don't get me wrong. Decorated absolutely beautiful. It, had, it looked like it had live plants in it, substrate, you know, the whole nine yards. And it had a mesh top. And you could tell the substrate was particularly dry. It was just their typical mesh screen top very, very dry, but it looked beautiful. And you looked at the comments and people were like, oh my God, what a gorgeous spider, what a gorgeous setup. That, you know, talking about how well it was kept and everything. And then another guy had his in a huge, big, huge, clear Sterilite bucket. Like it had to be one of those ones that was like 14, 15 inches tall. You know, a lot of floor space, a lot of moist dirt in it. He had drilled holes on all sides so there was good cross ventilation. It had a nice cork bark high. It was, it was a nice setup. And people came on and some of the comments were talking about how it wasn't kept correctly and how the enclosure was ugly. Well, the keeper with the Sterilite box, from just my opinion, looked like he had the better setup for it. The better setup for the spider. Not for everybody admiring the spider, but the better setup for the spider. The guy in the enclosure had a setup that A, was allowing everything to evaporate. The guy in the glass enclosure, I should say, had the setup where it was allowing the water to evaporate too quickly. It had the mesh up there that they can get their toe claws caught in, which can result in a tarantula dangling and losing limbs or dying. I mean, it wasn't an appropriate setup. So I think as a hobby, we need to make sure that we put, you know, we, we have our priorities right. I, I would rather see a keeper have every single one of his tarantulas in a sterilite, milky, blurry looking sterilite container and have them kept correctly than have them all in pretty glass ones and not kept correctly. That kind of drive, that's one of, like one of my pet peeves where people set them up pretty, but they don't bother to take in to account what the spiders actually need. So I know I've done a whole thing on enclosures before, and one of the videos I've been working on, I did years ago, I think it was when Roan was back on the camera, we went through and just showed some of the things they can use. And the one I'm working on now, I, I've got a video that I'm about halfway done with, I wanna add some more stuff to it, but talking about some of the enclosures that people can use, and all the way up from the littlest, you know, cheapest things to the other ones and talking about, you know, some of the pros and cons of each. Because I think, unfortunately, again, it's a hobby. It's a show-offy hobby. I don't know if that's even a word. It's a, it's a hobby that encourages people to show off what they got. Because when you're keeping these beautiful spiders, you want to show off these beautiful spiders. Just go on Instagram and follow some of the tarantula people. Who's going to get the most follows? The people who have the most beautiful pictures of beautiful spiders. We admire that. We want to see these things. So I think for many of us, it leads us to a point where we're thinking more in terms of I want to set this thing up pretty so I can show it off rather than I want to set this up correctly and we'll worry about if we can get pictures of it later. And I get it. I do get the idea behind it. Believe me, there are points where I'm setting things up where I am making judgment calls based on, all right, I have this enclosure here. I have this enclosure over here. This one is completely clear, is going to give me a much better look at the spider. It may not offer the depth I want, but it's going to be a better overall setup. And sometimes I will go that route as long as I don't think I'm compromising too much on what the spider needs. So for example, I have two Tarina Pelma Sazmes. I wanted to put one into a prettier enclosure, so I set up one of the 12 by 12 by 12 Exoterra not nanos, exoterra enclosed. Maybe they are called nanos, the bigger ones, the big cubes. And they, unfortunately, the litter dam on that is only like three inches deep or so. And my Tarina Pelmasazme still like to do a bit of burrowing. So I did, the enclosure I picked for it wasn't normally what I would have gone for. I probably would have given it more substrate, but I was able to angle the substrate in a way and arrange its hides, its cork bark in the back to give it kind of a slope. So there was deeper substrate in the back for it. And I chose it because it was pretty. Let's call it as it is. I wanted to put this spider, I wanted to show the spider off in something that was pretty. I wanted to do the bioactive enclosures. I wanted to get the plants in there, have the more naturalistic setup. So I went with something slightly different than I normally would have used and made it work. Is it? I, did I compromise the health of the spider for it? I don't think so. It, it, she was able to go back. She basically ad adapted to the cork bark I gave her in the back in the little starter burrow. She did some digging back there. So she's got like a little mound in her burrow that she can go down in and then she goes out and explores. It worked out great. But the the other one is in something that's more like a plastic container that has a little bit more substrate depth in it. 
neither Spider, I don't think either Spider, if they could talk, would complain about the setups. It just comes down to sometimes what we prefer to see them in. And I think that's always a good thing. I think the hobby is, again, it's a flashy hobby. You want to show off what you're keeping, but you always need to put the Spider's needs first. The functionality should come first. So I have a lot of people that will email. The, the big one I get is people are keeping a lot more Theraphosa species now, which is awesome because they're amazing. But I'll get emails from people going, all right, I what is a good nice looking enclosure that I can put my adult Theraphosa in once, well, once they become an adult, what can I put them in? And I struggle with this one because there really isn't a lot out there on the market that's made professionally. Some of those nice ones that I think would be ideal for a Theraphosa species. I am scouting out some of the acrylic enclosures. I think a thick acrylic enclosure, something around 15 gallons or so could probably be great for one as long as it offered, you know, enough floor space. But as far as tanks, if you got a tank, I would say you'd probably want to drill the glass and put some cross ventilation in it. You definitely don't want a screen top. So it means you're going to be creating some type of plexiglass top with drilled holes to keep the screen out of there. So there are things that can work, but there's not a lot that you can just grab right out of the box, open up and have an appropriate Theraphosa enclosure. And please feel free, whoever's out there listening to this right now that keeps Theraphosa and has theirs in a nice display, feel, please feel free to chime in. Obviously, I think a lot of folks do choose the tank route and they make it work. I'm not trying to tell you you can't use tanks. I think I've seen a lot of nice setups where people make it work, but it seems like to do it correctly, you do want to get some cross ventilation in there and fix the top at least. But I think people want like, the big one I get is, oh, can I use one of the Exoterra cubes, the 12 by 12 ones I was talking about? I was like, no, they're going to get way too big for that. It's not going to be appropriate for it. So I think like that's why when I was trying to rehouse my Theraphosa, I kind of gave up on getting it in something pretty at that point and tried to get it into something that I knew I could create the correct environment I needed for my spider in it. And you know, aesthetics be darned at that point, I wasn't really worried about it. I think the spider always needs to come first. And I think every enclosure setup that you come up with should always, the constant question that you should be looping back to, is this the right setup for my tarantula? Is this going to provide the right environment for my tarantula? Some you can get away with easy. Obviously, some species you can put in just about anything and they'll be perfectly fine. Arboreals you can put in. I The big one I get sometimes is I like to put the arboreals in the Sterilite containers. The bins are like 12 inches tall by 14 inches long by 10 inches wide or so. And they I've had so many people come on and go, why are you setting that arboreal species up in a terrestrial setup? Because they're used to the tall narrow ones and as I've tried to explain before I like working from top down when I work with my arboreal species I find that if an arboreal goes off most of them at least Pisotheria most of them will circle around the perimeter of the enclosure and if you have a front opening enclosure that can have the spiders circle around and bolt out of that opening wherein if you're coming down from the top a, if you have a wider open enclosure, so one that's more built like a tank size where it's like it's not only tall but has some length and width to it it gives you more room to get your hands out of the way should they bolt. I mean, I like when I do rehousings, I like being able to have a lot of room to work. Even when I'm doing basic maintenance, I like to know that I have a lot. If the spider decides to come up and out of that enclosure, my hand's not blocking off its only point of escape. There's plenty of room for it to go right around me. And I think that's important to me. That makes me feel more comfortable working with the spiders. I think it puts both of us at less of a risk, which is why I use those enclosures. Do they look as pretty? No, they don't. And I've started to get, I've got, I started to move over to extra large critter keepers for my piece of theory because they're overall much more clear. I do wish they would come up with clear tops for those. I mean, anybody's listening that works for a critter keeper, you can make a lot of money making those things with clear tops. And that's the only drawback is trying to get those stupid tops off because they can be tend to be a little bit difficult to unlatch, which can be a pain in the butt. But overall, they look a little bit better and offer the same type of dimensions as one of those Sterilite containers. But again, I get a lot of it. It's like once a month or so, somebody comes on to one of my Pisolotheria videos and bashes the enclosure, says either it's terrestrial or it doesn't look good. Again, I'm thinking about what's good for my spiders. My spiders do very, very well in them. I'm able to work with them well in them. That's the most important thing to me. Again, starting to shift them off into some nicer stuff, but there's nothing wrong with that. So I think when setting up tarantulas, it's always important to keep in mind functionality, to keep in mind the what's going to be best for your spider. And sometimes that's going to lead you to pick an option that wasn't the most desirable, at least in terms of aesthetics. Sometimes that's going to mean that that tank you've been eyeing on Amazon for a while that looked really good and you're going to get a good price on it. That 12 by 12 by 12 is on sale for like 45 bucks, which is a pretty good deal for those. And you want to use it for your, you know, 
Theraphosa species, that might be a point where you just go, unfortunately, that's not in the cards right now. Try to set them up in stuff that A, is going to allow you to maintain the correct environment. The tarantula, here's what it comes down to. The tarantula isn't going to care. There are They don't sit around at night, at least I hope not, that would be scary. They don't sit around at night going, hey buddy, your enclosure looks like garbage, look at what I'm in. They don't sit there in their enclosures going, wow, I really wish I could see out of this plastic, I wish it was clearer so I could see the tarantulas all around me. It just doesn't, it's silly, it doesn't happen. So when people come on and make comments like, I feel bad for your tarantula, I have to come back with why. The tarantula is set up beautifully, it's got a nice burrow, it's happy in the burrow, I don't see it very much, which means it's secure, it's it's eating well, it's growing well, what is the problem? It should always come down to what's best for your spider. And so don't get caught up in thinking, I, I know there's people out there that will leave the comments or that will comment on your enclosures and go, man, that's a terrible enclosure for your spider. If the spite, if the enclosure is appropriate for that spider, if it's allowing you to keep the correct, you know, moisture levels inside, if there's is allowing for cross ventilation and good airflow, if it's allowing the spider to burrow, if it's a burrowing species, if it's allowing your spider to climb, if it's an arboreal species, then who cares what it looks like? I know, again, it's, for some people out there are probably cringing like, oh God, it, but it looks like garbage. But what are we really doing this for? Do we want our spiders to be comfortable and set up appropriately? Or are we trying to show them off to everybody? I know this, there's, and I'm sure people will chime in. There's ways that you can set them up and make them look better, even using some of the crummier sterilite containers. But I'm trying to use contrasting examples here to show how it can get out of hand and you can end up in a situation with a spider that is not kept correctly. So the other thing I want to touch upon is now that I've been doing some of the bioactive ones and putting plants in them. And I will be doing an update on those because I have a lot, I, I'm, I'm going to do a tutorial on it because I think there are some plants that obviously completely shine when you set up bioactives with tarantulas. There are some things you need to consider when setting up bioactive with tarantulas. And I tend to, I, I get a lot of people that are new into the hobby that said, I want to jump right into bioactives. Now that's not to say that's not possible and it's not to say it's not appropriate, but I do strongly feel like people should learn how to correctly take care of the individual species they're keeping first before they introduce plants into the equation. Because what happens is we get the plants and it, there's certain plants you can use. You can throw into just about anything. The pothos, golden pothos. I've used those in a lot of things. Sorry, I don't I can't remember the scientific name right now. So for those of you who are into plants, I apologize. But pothos grows wonderfully in just about anything it looks good it, it it can grow up things it can grow across if you got it in a longer tank it'll creep across the ground and, and put plants all up across the ground which looks great but what will happen is people don't always want to use pothos they'll have different they'll, oh i have phytonia i have pepperomia i want to use these and sometimes these plants require a lot more care than the actual tarantula they require a lot more attention a lot more thought to how you're going to set them up they require certain like you have to water them certain times you have to not water them certain times a lot more it, it involves a lot more care on the plant end sometimes than it does on the spider end and what i worry about is people set these up they spend all this time trying to keep the plants alive and they're setting up an environment for the spider that's not correct for the spider so i do usually encourage people i mean i think bioactives look amazing. The majority of my enclosures now are going to have a plant in them. I'm trying to create my own substrate with it. I've been breaking out the pothos. Okay, big surprise. When I do the whole tutorial on what I've found as far as my year and a half, two years almost doing the bioactives, the pothos are just hands down amazing. So those would be what I would recommend for anybody just starting up their first bioactive enclosure. Start with the pothos and I think you'll be pleased with it. But we also need to take into consideration that it has taken me years to get to the point where I feel comfortable enough with my individual tarantula husbandry that I can set up enclosures that will both be suitable for the plant, but most importantly, suitable for the tarantula. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people jump right in. They see these bioactive enclosures and they go, I got this. This looks awesome. And then we end up in situations where you're not keeping the, the spider correctly. So, for example, I had somebody contact me that was setting up a bioactive for their avicularia avicularia, and they picked a plant that needs a lot of water. They had basically created this moist, dank, stuffy enclosure that had this big, giant plant in it, which in their, th their defense, they were thinking this would be a perfect spot for it to web and hide. But there wasn't a lot of ventilation in it. They had to keep the plant moist at all times. I was very concerned with the spider. When I brought it up, they're like, yeah, but this is how it would be in the wild. And I was trying to explain like, well, no, in the wild, it would be breezes coming through those treetops and kind of, you know, taking away some of that humidity or at least bringing fresh air. What you have here is an eight by eight by 12 
almost closed off, completely closed off dank tank that's going to end up with breeding bacteria or in the least creating this stuffy environment that we know for a fact is not good for avicularia. So I do worry that's one of the reasons. So if anybody, if you're one of the people out there that contacted me that's just getting into the hobby and was asking me about bioactives and I, I kind of encourage you to slow down a little bit, I would encourage you that if you're just getting new into the hobby and you're setting up enclosures, in the very least, try to shy away from the bioactives until you kind of get the hang of basic husbandry and whatnot because there's enough to learn with the spiders at first to not have to worry about dealing with the plants. But if you're going to try one out, make sure you pick a species that'll do well with them. You know, do some research, look out to see which species obviously will require a little extra moisture. Because again, if you're keeping, this is what people forget sometimes. If you're keeping a plant in there, the majority of the plants, unless you're using like a succulent, the majority of the plants need to be watered regularly. And if you're keeping a species that doesn't particularly like moist substrate, you can, again, you can moist, you can moisten the plants down right at the roots. That was kind of what I was doing with my GBB, my C. cyanio pubicins. I had a bioactive enclosure, have her in a bioactive enclosure, which, spoiler alert again for when I do the update, is not doing well right now. I one of, Both of the plants are doing terribly, so it didn't really work out for me. But you can put plants in and just water the roots but unfortunately what usually I see is somebody just getting into the hobby they're just pouring they've got plants in there they're pouring water in they're not worried about those kind of things and that's not a good situation so again bioactives are awesome I encourage everybody to try some out if you want to try ones out early on just do your research make sure that you're not doing it with species that it's not appropriate for and I've had people argue well it can be appropriate for every species yes I think there is a correct setup for just about every species you can have out there I agree it can be done but it does take some knowledge at least as far as basic tarantula husbandry knowledge before you move into the plant the tarantula and for plant people i'm not saying you know plants aren't important i get upset when i lose a plant i will i've called myself on this before if a plant dies i i won't say it's as bad as when a tarantula dies but i feel terribly that i killed the plant so don't think i'm sitting out there going plants are disposable i'm not but if you're a tarantula keeper your first responsibility is to that tarantula and when you introduce plants in now you have another living thing you have to also consider and try to keep alive and that can be difficult for people that are just getting into the hobby just getting started out it can add extra variables that can make the hobby even more confusing to figure out so that would be my two cents on the bioactives early on again some of the Things that made me reluctant to start with bioactives, I've actually experienced and have proven true and some of the worries I've had because, for example, one of the issues I always had was I have tarantulas that will dig up their entire enclosure. They'll constantly dig. They'll dig around. My Lazyodora parahybana, for example, loves digging around her own her enclosure. She'll dig one end up. She'll dig another end up. She'll go and start digging around the sides. She's always digging. And when I put fake plants in there, they rip them to shreds. For Mictopus, same thing. So I always had this worry that you put plants in and one of these days the tarantulas are going to go, I really don't want this plant here and start tearing it apart. Well, back to my Terinopelma sasme, I've got her in one of those 12 by 12 cues as I talked about before. There is a beautifully large golden pothos that's in there that I, I have to trim up constantly because it's growing so well. Well, she's decided to do some pruning herself. So I go in there the other day and she's literally ripping leaves off that thing right and left. She is tearing it apart. There are leaves all over the place. She's broken a bunch of the, the vines of it and left them discarded and dead on the ground. For whatever reason, she's decided she doesn't want this thing where it is. And that's always been a concern of mine is what happens when the tarantula decides, hey, you know what, I want to build my burrow here and uproots the plant. The other thing that happened is I had my Orphanacus philippinus female and I had a spider plant in it. And everybody had told me spider plants are unkillable. Spider plants are unkillable. Well, I can kill them apparently. Uh, or my spider can, because what she did was after she bred, she decided to lay her egg sac right around the base of the spider plant and ended up trampling it down, webbing it up, and the spider plant died. So there's another instance where the plant, you know, the spider and the plant came into conflict, and guess what? The spiders are usually going to win that battle. So there are things you need to take into account when you set up these bioactive enclosures and to make them practical, to make them, you know, I mean, honestly benefit the spider. And I think that for the majority of people out there just getting into the hobby, it's going to add those extra avail, uh, those extra variables, those extra things they have to concentrate on. That's going to make things even more confusing and possibly stressful. So if you're going to get into, if you just get, I don't blame you. They look amazing. I, I, that's one thing I will say. That's why I'm putting plants and everything. It just looks so much better, even than the plastic plants. Make sure you reach out. Feel free to reach out to me. I've had a lot of people lately ask me about it and I'll give you like 
the Tom Moran's suggestion for setting up your basic, like if you just want to put a plant in there and experiment with it, some things you can do to just kind of make it as simple as possible. Again, pathos. It's, it's the queen. I love that plant. But, but regardless of the type of enclosure you're setting up, always be sure. Rule of thumb, golden rule as far as, let's just call it that, the golden rule. I don't put many rules out there. Golden rule as far as setting up tarantulas, always put the well-being, the health of the tarantula first and foremost. That should be your priority. That should be paramount to whatever enclosure you set up. Don't let the looks of the enclosure govern how you're going to put it together. Let the what the tarantula needs guide what you pick up as an enclosure. It shouldn't go the other way around. Here's the tarantula. Here is what I need to keep it safe and healthy and thriving. What type of enclosure will fit that bill? It shouldn't be, here's the enclosure I want to use. What tarantula can I put in here that might work out pretty well? It should never go like that. And I think if you do that, regardless, you're going to end up with some beautiful ones. You're going to end up with some situations where your enclosure might not be the prettiest enclosure in the world, but your tarantula is happy and healthy, and that's what should count. So that should conclude my review on enclosures. Again, it, it just comes down to common sense with any of this stuff common sense with temperatures common sense with enclosures the whole point of the Tom's Big Spurs stuff is hopefully to take away some of the stress because I am a very anxious person especially when there's animals involved I can't sleep at night sometimes when I think that you know there's something wrong with one of my spiders I am constantly perseverating on it trying to figure out what's wrong with them I, I have people that will email me and go oh you probably don't worry about this stuff anymore trust me if there's something to worry about in this hobby I've worried about it and probably still worry about it uh, people express surprise when I mentioned in one of my videos that I still freaked out by the super teeny tiny slings I have Pseudhopolopus species columbias they are ridiculously tiny and it freaks me the heck out I've raised a lot of things I've raised a lot of tiny ones up but I still get freaked out about it so I, I think for me I <laughs> although I could do without the extra anxiety you know extra anxiousness over this stuff I think part of it is what keeps me constantly trying to make sure that I'm doing the best I can with my tarantulas I never get to a point where I feel like all right this is old hat I know what I'm doing I'm always rethinking and thinking things and I like that it, it keeps me on my toes it keeps me constantly reevaluating what I'm doing and trying to improve what I'm doing so if you're one of those people out there that's stressing over this no I do the same darn thing and I go through the same stuff you guys all do there are times where I order cages and I look at or I go on Amazon my, one of my things is I go on Amazon, I go down that rabbit hole where you click on one enclosure, but it'll go, you might also like this. And you click on that. I do the same thing on eBay. I see all these enclosures like, oh, that looks really cool. And then the next step is what could I actually put in that thing? And then it comes down to, all right, what would actually do well in that thing? Not just it, it could be an okay enclosure. What would, it would benefit the tarantula. And that's how my line of thinking goes. So I go through it too. But again, they may seem like too basic topics on the surface, but I think they're things that come back constantly depending on how, you know, our temperatures change. I somebody that moved and suddenly they were looking at a situation where their house was a heck of a lot cooler than it was before when they were keeping tarantulas. So things can change, variables can change, and sometimes we have to revisit these topics. And again, I think just to help other people, it's always good to kind of not lose focus of what it was like when we first got in to the hobby, not lose focus about the things that used to cause us anxiety and stress and to always keep an open mind that there could be better bigger and better ways to keep things so that will do it for this one as always thank you so much for listening and you know paying attention while I ramble on for almost an hour I can't believe this one went that long my notes I just had like a half a page of just some very very basic notes and I kind of thought it was going to take like a half hour and obviously I just kept talking so here we are but uh, again I hope everybody's doing well out there and staying sane and staying healthy as always you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com that's been getting a lot of traffic lately I think a lot of people have been buying spiders to get over the stress and anxiety of being kept at home which is awesome and it looks like they've been looking for information on them which is great uh, you can also find me on thomasbigspiders.com uh, thomasbigspiders on YouTube I already said thomasbigspiders.com and that's been getting a lot of traffic lately which has been awesome so again hope everybody's well and i'll catch you all next time